All right, let's get it. Would every person be lo- loyally, loyally subject to um, governing civil authority? For there is no authority except from God, by His permission and His and His sanction, and those that exist exist do so by God's appointment. Therefore, He who resists and sets himself up against the authority resists what God has appointed and arranged in divine order and seats, and those who resist will bring down judgment upon themselves, receiving the penalty, yet receiving the penalty due to them. For silver, 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 goodness gracious, authorities are not a terror to people of good conduct, but to those who, uh, those of bad behavior, would you have no dread of him who is in authority, then do what is right, and you will receive his approval and condemnation for he is God for he is God's service for your good but if you do wrong you should dread him and be afraid for he does not bear and wear the sword for nothing he is God's servant to execute his wrath punishment vengeance 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 on the wrongdoer Therefore, one must be subject not only to avoid God's wrath and escape punishment, but also a matter of a principle and for the sake of conscience. For this same reason you pay taxes for the civil civil, civil <laughs> authorities are official servants under God devoting themselves to attending to the very service. R- render to all men their due. Pay taxes to whom taxes are due. Re- revenue to whom revenue is due. Respect to whom re- respect is due. And honor to whom honor is due. Owe no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall, lo- you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than, we, than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies or drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Thank you, both of you. So I'm going to back up real quick, just because... uh... Verse 8 is the, the new thought here. So, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Um, and then he gets into, for this, you shall not commit adultery. You should not 
murder, you should not steal, you should not covet, and if there is any other or any yeah, any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so obviously I'm sure most of us think of Jesus when asked what the greatest of the commandments is, and he says, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Yeah. And then the one uh, like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And the idea that if we're loving God, he's the priority, and we're loving him with the love that he gives us. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. What is the very first of the fruit of the Spirit that's listed there of the nine? Love. It's that agapeo love, that sacrificial giving love. Um, And so when we are receiving that from the Lord, and we know that he is a God that gives above what we can expect or what we can imagine. He goes above and beyond. And so this imagery that I often have of it is an overflowing our vessel. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Obviously, the treasure is the presence of him. But again, with the presence of him comes the character of him that he cannot separate himself from. So there comes those nine attributes or nine characteristics of God into our vessel. And obviously our vessel is not going to be con- be able to contain him to the point where we're going to shatter per se, but uh, that it's just going to end up overflowing. And so oftentimes what we're operating from or what we should be operating from is an overflow of what he pours into our life. And so this love is going to be pouring into our neighbor. Who is our neighbor? It's everybody around us versus our brethren, who is those who are members of the body of Christ. Uh, So in here, it's like we're extended to all mankind. Think of uh, living peaceably as much as relies upon upon you, live peaceably with everybody. And within that is going to be love and this idea of serving others. So this is where he points to Torah And the Ten Commandments in particular, the reference on this one is going to be uh, Exodus uh, 20. Let me go back. I'm using also Bible Hub here. I love Bible Hub for both paragraph, but it also gives references to... Actually, let me go to my Hebrew Heritage Bible real quick on this. It has that as well. Stand by. Go ahead, Ken. You You have your hand up, brother. So I was going to take this to that the commandments are, of course, do not commit adultery, murder, steal, covenant. To love your neighbor. We are called to be one, united. And in doing so, when, when we don't transgress against our neighbor, we're also not sinning against our neighbor, but also sinning against ourselves because we're called to be one, one heart. And this is in Ezekiel eleven nineteen, When we are made new, we are circumcised inwardly. We are called to be of one singleness of heart. And so sometimes you'll hear about the uh, Ten Commandments being used as a marriage proposal. That the first few are to love the bride. I mean, love the groom. And then the rest is to love yourself. How true it is whenever we 
can get into a relationship that a man and a woman should resemble the same characteristics. Love the one that you are betrothed to. Love the one that you are committing a covenant marriage to. Don't keep no images. Don't keep no hidden photographs in your computer. Don't keep no hidden things tucked away inside of a shoebox of uh, past lovers and, and whatnot. Don't think about the other person. Have one God before you. And also, love yourself. Learn how to love you and your neighbor. Because it's called in the same way as Christ loves us. We should turn around and use that same love and love one another in the body of Christ. So, yeah, I put up the, thank you, put up the references here um, where it points to these. It's interesting that he doesn't include verse 16 in there, but obviously verse 16 very much applies to it too, not bearing false witness against your neighbor. Um, but this idea of the Lord is bringing his spirit within us, the the breath of his mouth, and that with it comes him writing the law or the Torah upon our heart and how the spirit in us empowers us to walk in, in his ways. Well, if the spirit of the Lord is there and love is there amongst the, again, the other attributes. Um, oh, did you have your hand up? Sorry. Uh, okay, I'll get you. Keep going, John. Keep going. So if the spirit of the Lord is now dwelling within us and he has nine attributes, which the first of the listed is love, and he can't separate himself from that. So by his love, because of his very presence, is going to cause us to walk in Torah in the aspect of the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. The letter of the law is very... Um, can be very harsh, very religious. That's where the, a lot of the religi religiosity comes from in it. But, and, and can lead a person to look at aspects of it and say, hey, well, look at there. I'm not a woman. Doesn't apply to me. I'm not a farmer. Doesn't apply to me. Any of that stuff. But with the presence of the Lord, his spirit there can help us to look deeper at it and say, what's the undergirding of the law, of that particular law? And you're going to find, especially within the civil and the moral laws, because you have the the civil, um, the moral, the religious laws for like the the uh, sacrifices and the, the matters of the temple sacrifices, and and not just the sacrifices themselves, but just the business of the temple, showbread, so different aspects of it. But so when it comes to the moral and civil law, which are the things that we're really going to be looking more to and having the everyday interaction and in our life. The undergirding of all that is going to be God's care and concern and love, love for um, and the way that we interact with him. And then more importantly, the love of uh, our fellow man, because if you think about it, God has need of nothing. It, uh, it doesn't need anything. So the things that we want to bring to him as an act of worship and love, he's going to redirect that. So like even the tithes. That you were supposed to give a tenth of your your produce, a tenth of your animals, uh, for for that, and an aspect of it would get burnt up before the Lord. But there was always a portion, um, with the exception of one, but we won't go down that one, that went to the priests. God looking out for other people, 
And so for the things that we're going to be doing when we're loving God, he's going to redirect it and funnel it and say, hey, I, I appreciate it. I love it. it. It blesses my heart that you, you're bringing it to me. But we're going to redirect that. We're going to redirect that into people who do have needs because I have need of nothing. And so, hey, look at this person over here. Would you go and pour that blessing out into them because they need it? And that's that partnership he's looking. That's that, hey, you're yoked up to me. We're in a relationship together, and I want to do things together. So we're bringing everything to him, and then he is directing the work or redirecting, if you will. Well, we're saying here, Lord, this is for you. And he's like, hi, that's beautiful. I love it. Thank you. Hey, look, Bob over there needs this. Let's go pour this out into Bob's life. Let's go, let's go bless him together. Because you're bringing it to him, and he's, he's redirecting it to him. To other people, so again, the the fulfillment of all the law is going to be the undergirding of love. When when you read Torah and and start asking, Lord, help me to see the love in it. Help me to see the care and concern with it. Uh, one other thing I wanted to point out too, for instance, the uh, think about this one for a bit. There's more laws in Torah in proper treatment of animals and care for animals than there is laws about how to conduct Shabbat or Sabbath. <laughs> that should strike you as very interesting. He wants us to keep it holy to him, but he has more instruction and care, concern, and directions of how to treat animals than how, how we should be interacting and performing or keeping Shabbat. One that says, hey, when you go to take the eggs from a mother hen or her fledglings, chase her off. Don't take her with them. And, and to the point where it's like, don't let her be a witness to you taking her eggs or fledgling. Which to me says that they can be traumatized by it. So he cares enough to say, just shoo her off. So she doesn't have to go through, I guess, the crude way to say it, the emotional turmoil of it. Of watching somebody come and raid her nest. And take away her eggs or take away her fledgling. Go ahead, Nikki. All right, I'm going to try and form a cohesive thought. <laughs> um, I mean, what's what's being discussed here is is echoed throughout the word from the very beginning, and to to understand, you know, that whole phrase, "God is love." Well. We have to consider. We, I mean, the reflection of of God prior to Jesus coming on the scene, the people that He came to save, repeatedly cursed Him, uh, did evil in His sight, did every sort of thing to to provoke God in anger, and yet He still loved them. That's what agape love is. Like we we. We do everything we can to, as human beings, with our with our evil hearts prior to coming to know who the Lord is, just to dim diminish and 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 to you know say we can do it better and all that. And God's like, I love you. Just come home, you know, that whole time, right? And then Jesus on the cross was that same reflection of agape love. No matter how badly he had to suffer for all of us he did it because he loved us and that's john three sixteen to 18 but um what's being talked here is being is reflected in first john four uh first john 
and 4 says, For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. And if you ever question yourself to say, I don't know if, if I'm saved or if I have the Holy Spirit in me or, or something like that. Do you, love, do you love your brother? Do you love God? In the sense as in, you know, are, are you willing to listen? Are you, are, do you want to go that way? You're all right. You're doing all right. Because here's what it says also. Those I love, I rebuke and discipline. This is God. Therefore, be earnest and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with them, and he with me. To the one who overcomes, I will grant the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And so that's the reconciliation. You are supping with God. You are at a feast when you when you are walking in spirit with him, and you're, you're seeking the truth through the lens of love. Real love, not not worldly love, the way that people defined it as in, you know, arrows, let's say, or or storge, brotherly love, right? And this is this is love that cannot be removed. You know, regardless of who you are or who you've been, he's loved you from the very beginning. When he gave you life, the source of life. Um and it says God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, we are like him, and there is no fear in love. So the depth of love is, is far greater than, than we begin to understand. In the very beginning, we think, okay, love is like, what can I get? What, what do I, I'll give something, I want to receive something, you know. God doesn't need us for anything, but he loves us regardless. I, I don't know if I'm going off in a tangent here, but I'm trying to form a thought. Anyway. It's vital. If you if you say you love God, but have not love for your brother, right? That's also pointed out. Yep. No, you know? it's good. He He doesn't need our love, but he would like it. He wants it. And unfortunately, the situation for us uh, being in a situation where we're having to make a choice in the midst of two opposing forces, so to speak, the light and the dark. And otherwise, love without a, a choice, uh, love absent of a choice is not really love. And so we're, we found, find ourselves in a situation where we're in a battle where we have to choose one or the other. Uh, but the beautiful thing is, God does not expect perfect execution in it because he knows we're not capable of it. And that's why for him, the heart matters, where he looks at the heart. And so that intentionality of the heart of, Lord, I want to love you, and I'm trying so hard, but my execution just falls so short. And something, uh, something that I was talking a bit ago to a sister about is um, that it, the, the genesis of it can start within the heart and ultimately it starts really because the spirit within us and and then comes into the heart where we're embracing it where we're making that choice with with the heart one believes and so it's there by time it gets out into action or words it's gone through a filter of disgust so to speak 
and the process or or whatever however that may look and so then the execution of it doesn't look so great it's, it's tainted but the lord's like i see your heart i see what you intended and yeah the execution may not match that that's why the heart matters to him and an example of this is is uh daniel with this prayer with this fast and when the angel finally shows up after 21 day what does the angel say from the moment you purposed in your heart to fast and pray the answer was dispatched not the moment that daniel actually physically started it but the moment he purposed in his heart god was like send the answer because god saw his heart saw what he intended and he did it so if for those of us who struggle with perfection uh maybe part of that in the form of ocd whatever however it may manifest lord sees the intentionality of the heart and it matters to him it is with that heart that one believes again that he looks at that and says because of the position of your heart i will confirm your decision to be in relationship with me and it has eternal ramifications think of gladiator and i mentioned this too earlier gladiator what we do now echoes into eternity yeah the choice we make now with our heart echoes or has eternal ramifications i saw that in the intentionality of your heart despite the execution that you've chosen to be in relationship with me chosen to love me and that has eternal consequences in a positive because yes i will confirm and you will have the fullness of my presence for an eternity within my family united with me versus those who choose not to love him and to actually chase after the enemy in his ways. So they're serving somebody. We're serving either him or we're serving the enemy of God. There is no, there's no Switzerland. And whether we want to believe it or not that he exists, the fact is, if you're not for God, you're against him. I don't think the enemy exists. doesn't matter. You're not for God, so you're automatically against him. doesn't want it that way. Kind of gone off on a tangent here, but I think it's very important to see the impact of love. Tying it back into the earlier, and I saw your hand, sorry, Daniel, give me one moment here. Um, tying it back into verse 1 through 7, when you really go back and read through those things, um, you see that if you are walking in God's love, that you are responding to the outpouring of his love, of the presence of the Spirit who brings love with him, and, and you're utilizing that, then verse 1 through 7 is no big deal for you. You don't need to fear the law of the land. You're walking the ways of God, which the law of the land is intended, as it talks about in those passages, to be a representation of God's authority and the way he does things and rules and reigns. And it's going to be imperfect because we're dealing with human beings. But knowing that it is a model of what God intends, especially when Jesus is here ruling and reigning as the authority and the king, that the way he does things is going to be perfection to it, not some tainted, uh, poor example, kind of like marriage. Marriage, what God intended, what we have is a poor example of what he ultimately atten- intended. And so so is the laws of the land. So when we're walking in his ways, when we're following after his spirit, and by through that love, um, walking in Torah, which he is, then 
fearing the consequences and fearing the governing bodies that can bring about those consequences ain't no thing. If I have no murder in my heart and have no intention in going out and murdering something, somebody, the law for against murder is not burdensome. I don't have to worry about it. Yeah, it's there and it doesn't, it's not a killjoy for me, so to speak, or it's not a burden towards me because it's impeding something I want to do. No, it's there. I acknowledge it's there. And it's no thing. Go ahead, Daniel. Yeah. Um, hey, guys. Um, I was just, um, yeah, just back, you, how you pulled that back in together there. Or, um, obviously, just what you're saying then, if when First John there's somebody, it also talks about, um, if we love God, <clears throat> the commandments aren't burdensome. We we obey Him because we delight in His way and His life and His love and what we see in Christ. Um, but I was just um, back to what you're saying: the outpouring of God's love flowing into our lives. Um, it overflows um, in Ephesians four, four uh, sorry one verse four to seven. I was just going to read that: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing." In, in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And then when you, I was just, that verse there, I see that. And then you look in the First Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and you see at the end there it says, abiding faith and hope and love. These, so it's these three, but the greatest of these is love. And you look at this stuff and you look at from a level of God, what he's bringing us into and putting in our, the treasure he's putting in our hearts for, for believing in him and receiving his life in us. We get to participate in this love that has been um, from the beginning, I guess, eternity past and eternity forever. There's a love that between the Father and Son that has, has all creation came out of. So there had to be love that existed before creation and everything that we see. And he's bringing us into that love and, and he's putting into us so that way we do delight in his commandments. We do delight in everything that is God because it just overflows from us. And I guess we, I'm just trying, I, I just wanted to add that it's this love that he's bringing us into is what was from the beginning of, I guess, the beginning of our time and eternity past and that we're all going to be partaking of and it'll outflow out of us. And then there is no fear. There is no condemnation. There is no. There's an unconditional love that we're that everything that you know you are the reason why you exist is because God is love. The reason why creation, everything we brought into this perfection, this holiness, and this this eternal life source that will go on forever. And and love is the only thing. So when we see him face to face, all these things that we're trying to do in this life will go, but the, lo the love will remain. There will be no need for even faith because we see him face to face because we are in in him. So I, I just wanted to add that. I don't know if that speaks to to anyone, but yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. And, and you were just starting to touch on something that I wanted to bring up here in that First Corinthians thirteen thirteen. But now faith, hope, and love remain these uh, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Do you know mm -hmm. why? And you already touched on it. Yeah. Because both faith and hope will come to a point where they're no longer needed. Yeah. We mm -hmm. we faith is the evident or the things hoped for and if evidence of things unseen well when we're in the fullness of his presence we will be beholding him and we'll be interacting we will be having the fullness of his presence and seeing him so faith both faith and hope in that regard will no longer be needed but love will endure and remain because he is love 
can't separate himself from it. The essence of the Father is love, if you read the Paleo-Hebrew. Yep. Any other thoughts? Man, what was, was that last comment? So, I'm sorry. What was that last comment the, uh, that was just made? The absence of love? What? The es essence mm -hmm. of God is love. Oh, the, yeah, the essence. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you said the absence of God or absence of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is interesting. The, well, that the, would have been very interesting. <laughs> well, the other side of it, right? Because if you look, if you look at sin, right? For the, the traditional letters for it, the essence of the Father is love, which makes perfect sense. I think he's having a connection issue. He didn't realize he talked over. Oh, yet. good. It's no problem at all. Let him keep going. I was just saying, like, um, you look at uh, the opposite of it. And everything that is contrary to what God has depicted, everything that God has shown us is out of his love. Everything. Every good thing comes from him. And the abundance of his love. But everything that is sinful and evil and dark has no love in it. If you think about it, the root of every single dark thing has no love in it. Yep. Even looking at the Hebrew word for love is very interesting. <laughs> so there's three, there's four letters, but two of them repeats. And it's the Aleph, it's Ahava. It's the Aleph, the He, the Bait, the He. Aleph represents the Father, the He represents the breath or the spirit, and Bait represents the Son. So the three letters that are representative of the Godhead make up the word love. Dude. And even greater than that, like even things that, that, that would be considered opposite of God, contrary to God, right? Evil. Love is so powerful. The love of God, God is so powerful that he can take something that was meant for evil and turn it for good with his love. So something that was meant to diminish or, or hurt or still kill, steal, kill, and destroy a person, God can take and turn it into something meant for love in him and for your good, yeah. right? That's, that's the power of love, man. Yeah. Here's another connection, guys. Guys and gals. So you have Ahava is love. And then as Silver has been sharing with us, what is Eve's name in, in Hebrew? Anybody remember him saying it? It's Hava. 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 Not Ahava. Hava. So here we have Eve. And w w the woman is known to be the life giver, the nurturer, the S, the, the, origin of love compared to a man's love. Think about a mother's love in comparison to a father's love. That there's just something deeper and more unique. It doesn't lessen a man's love or a father's love uh, that we have. But it's almost like God gave the greater portion of his love into the woman and expressed it in her name. Ahava for love, Hava for Eve's name. Pretty fascinating. 
God's cool. God rocks. Let me let me grab that for you real quick, so I'll show you that with the Hebrew. And for those who don't know, Hebrew is read right to left with these characters that I'll put in. It. So you have the Aleph, looks like the X there. And then you have the He, which is the next one. And then the Bait, that third one there. And then the He. And that's Ahava. And that's supposed to... That's love. Oh, ah, Ahava? Ahava. So Ahava oh, so is love. Hava or Hava is Eve's name, which is okay. very similar, similar name or Where's letters the... even. I haven't. Where, uh, where, there's not a Vav in there, is there? Uh, the B, the bait sound, can yeah. be pronounced as a V. Okay. So it okay. doesn't have the, the way it signifies it with the valve sounds and stuff would be the dot in the bait, in the middle of the bait. Okay. Absence of the dot, it's a V sound. With the, the dot in the middle, it's a B, as in boy sound. I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. That's. Hebrew 102. I only took 101, so. Yeah. <laughs> Good old letters there with the dual. Same thing like with Vav. There's sometimes there's a W sound that would be in there in some of the pronunciations of it. Especially when you read it in, in um, the interlinear Bible with the transliteration, it signifies the Vs with the W sound. Yeah, well. yeah, you have to remember to do more of the V sound with it. It's kind of like German. Yeah. Volks. Volks. Volkswagen. Volkswagen. Right. Yeah. So that would be like some of the, the, the discrepancies or the arguments with, uh, is it Yahuwah or Yahuwah kind of thing? Yeah, that's, that's yeah. some of it, depending yeah. on it. So, all right. So next, uh, verse ten, we'll jump to that one. Unless anybody had, and did I miss a hand? I don't know if I. Let me scroll back up. I apologize if I did. I think Daniel was the last one. So, so again, if you'd like to share anything, if there's a thought that occurs or your connection that you're seeing, no matter how dumb you might think it is, please. The best way that you learn is by voicing things out. And maybe through that, you'll get different connections that will the Holy Spirit will show you or somebody else will help you with the making connections and something that they're sharing. They actually help each other. So don't be afraid. Nothing's, nothing's dumb. If you have questions, there is no dumb question. The dumb question is the one you don't ask. Um, so, yeah, don't be afraid. Put your hand up. And if you're feeling even, as minuscule as it might be, uh, is it about this one, Andrea, or about the next one? Uh, it's about this one. Okay, go for it. Mm -hmm. uh, Mark, uh, so the, another correlating um, scripture is um, Mark um, 12, and it's the parable of the um, tenant. So, what, um, what verse is it? Is um I I can I'm gonna start reading from just that first um bit of it. So starting at twelve, chapter twelve. Okay. And uh, it kind of goes along. Um. So he says, 
this, and I'm reading from um, the NIV. So it says, he then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the, uh, the, the wine yard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a, a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit and the uh, fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and then one they killed. He sent many others. Some they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the uh, inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this uh, scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. And even like if you keep going, it says paying taxes to Caesar. So it says later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Then they came to him and said, teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance to uh, with the truth. It is, uh, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or should, shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He said, bring me a Daenerys and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose portrait is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe I have it wrong there with the Ahaba. Thought it was a hava. Oh well, I'm not an expert. Uh, so yeah. Go. Sorry. That, go ahead, Andrea. As you say, that parable of the tenants is, you know, just a, uh, you know, just kind of like, just like caught us all out, like as a call out. Like, yeah. you know, let us know that this is what happened. This is what's going on. You killed, this is what, we, I sent my son, and you killed him. So, you know, like, and you just see, you know, kind of this, you know, where, where Jesus is, you know. Yeah, and that poll tax to Caesar, there's two different ones. Um, I would have to find where the other one is. So the poll tax, uh, where it says in verse 14 there in Mark. Um, so the poll, I'd have to research the poll tax. The other one I was thinking of is the temple tax. That's the one where they come to Jesus while he's in Caesarea or in um, Capernaum, I believe it is. 
and then he has Peter go out and grab the first fish and open its mouth for the the coin that's needed uh, was the temple tax that was supposed to be paid every year. Uh, was it a half shekel? I believe the amount was for per person, if I remember correctly. So you see, even within that, the things that need to be paid. I think there's a um, uh, the provision for the Lord for those things that we need to give to governments, if we will. And and the Lord knows the need. It's like, okay, I, I as them being representatives of of my authority on earth in this form, which, which is not the only way it manifests, but the government's supposed to be um, a representative. And he condones the taxes in an appropriate way, obviously, man can taint that and even take that out of hand but let's let's just keep it in the ideology of it in the purest form so to speak as best we can do without all the corruptions that can just be a downward spiral but the idea that the lord is like i I, they're representatives and i'm okay with it and so i'm also gonna help with provision of it as well Uh, whether it be in him providing with a job or supernaturally in the sense of having other people come in and and helping out um because of circumstances in one's life or whatever but crying out to him and asking lord you know my need and the government is has put this upon us and they're supposed to be representatives and i want to be obedient to you like your word says to respecting the authorities and this includes their taxes and stuff so help (laughs) how that's going to look provision job whatever so go ahead nikki i got spicy chicken in my mouth but i'm trying to um it's just interesting also because where the time came where taxes had to be paid jesus trusting in our father in heaven that money was given what what was needed was provided in the in the mouth of a fish of all things. And so I think that just reaffirms, regardless of what takes place, we can rely and trust in the Lord for his providence. And yes, sometimes that means we go through difficult journeys. But as long as you have the Lord, there's there's nothing that, that can come against you. There's nothing. Even when it comes to the government and, and what they may do, even at even at the idea of losing your own life, have you the Lord? You have nothing to fear. Everything that is necessary will be provided according to his plans for you and purposes for your life. Sorry, I was looking at something else here. Thank you for sharing it, Ken. Yeah. There's so much done back in this. It's great, though, the connections that we're making, for sure. A lot. I'm glad that we're sharing it. I've always appreciated Bible studies like this versus somebody just getting up and sharing theirs, and there's no sort of discussion. But It's nice. All right, I'm going to... Get us to verse 10 here. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. We've already been touching on that. 
that it's the undergirding like Jesus points to that in all the law and the prophets, all in the Torah and the prophets is love and fulfills them and it hinges on it. Which interestingly enough, on that aspect when he says something or when he says that it hinges on there, it makes me think of the the letter Vav. It looks like a, a tent peg uh, in the Hebrew and how it has uh, nail, the, the word picture of nail uh, or hook to it. So when he says that, it, I have that imagery of Vav, that all of it hangs on it. I mean, it was by the nails that look very similar to the Hebrew letter Vav that he was hung on the, the tree. And it was his love. I think there's definitely some deeper connections. There it was his love that was actually hanging him there. Any other connections that you guys can, or anything that scripture-wise that is making you think of anything in verse 10? believe he's going to switch thoughts a little bit. Let me check. Verse 11. Um, sorry, I was just going to add something there. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't put my hand up. That's but right. um, I guess the um, when you're in verse 10 and 9 there, and even what you're talking about, love Jesus on the cross, what I was, what I look at, I guess, is that when you see verse 9 before it as well, when it's talking about not you know breaking the law, and I guess... Love fulfills all the law, and it's summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, before love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. You look at, the, I guess, it, it's the order. A lot of, um, well, I guess we're born dead in our sin, and we're born as enemies against God, right? That's how we're all born, and it's evident in the sense that we've got the wrong order. The way we love as humans in our flesh is, is our self, our self-centered, then, you know, how we fit. What God's doing by making us new creations is is turning that around. If you look at God and the Godhead, you look at the Father, Son, and the Spirit. It's other centered love. So He's bringing us into other centered love, which is outside. It's like I give myself, and I guess it's reordering the priority. If you look at our humanity before we knew God, we we had it in order where it was ourself, then it was neighbor, and if we did love God, it was lucky. But what He's doing is turning us around into His love. And the way that his other centered love, and he is love, so um, you know, love God, love neighbor, then yourself. It's reprioritizing in the order. He's making us new creations. He's making us, giving us new hearts, giving us hearts that flesh uh, for flesh, not from stone, which is is a product of separation from him. And uh, I guess that's what makes us fulfill the law because we we actually love the way he loves, which is other centered. Um, and that I think that's just a good way to actually picture it because we're you know before. We were new creations. We were self-centered. We looked how, you know, everyone else fits into my world and how how they can better me. And if and even the world talks of a message that if that if this doesn't make you happy, then leave it. You know, um, you look at the way Jesus came in. He completely opposite showed us this love that was other-centered. He came here for the purpose um, of redeeming us, restoring us back to Him because we were separated for eternity. He He actually brought us back to it, redeemed us and brought us back into that love, which was completely other-centered. Jesus was the, he's the only one who could ever complain and anything about anything, having wrong done to him, but no, he was so focused on loving, like as he always has, and showing us that love, which is other-centered. I guess that, yeah. No, that's very good. And you, 
a few points on that. Hopefully, let me see if there's any hands I'm out. I don't think there was any other hands. So a few points I wanted to make that you were bringing forward uh, is this idea that he is transforming us from the self-centered to the other-centered love. But if you look at it, look at let's look at your individual. Everybody in their mind, look at your individual relationship. Think back when you first entered into the relationship, when you first answered the the call of the spirit to bring you to the Lord. Could you actually say, and I'm not going to deny somebody who says, yes, I was this way, but can you, can anybody here say that I entered a love with an, or the relationship with an other centered love? Or would you say that you entered in the relationship with a what's in it for me attitude? So that self-serving love initially, and you're not a bad person if you say that you did, because I would dare say that most of us, enter in relationship with the what's in it for me attitude because he is so foreign we don't know him well yet but then as we continue in a relationship and get to know him then the transformation starts happening where you're like oh my gosh you're an amazing person and and you just want to do nice things for him uh based off of as you get to know him Uh, the other thing that i wanted to you delight. You become delighting and pleasing your father. You actually want to do good and want to do. It. It's a different place of obedience out of law. It's out of because I delight and I see that his law is good and I love these things which I didn't before. But you're making me like you, and that's I think at the end of Romans 13 it says putting on Christ. That's what he's doing. He's sanctifying us, making us like him, and you see that playing out um, as you walk this walk and you and you're transform being transformed and ultimately when you see him face to face. That's when it's finalized. That but it's the seal of the spirit that. He gives us that, actually makes trans makes that transformation, um, changes us, gives us new hearts and new minds. You know, it's it's a blessing to walk in this, and you actually it's a joy. There's a difference, you know, of a bit of obeying it from that place. It's obedience isn't isn't a chore. That's why I guess in that back at that in John it talks about you know you keep these commandments and they're not burdensome because you love them. They you delight in these things because you know and you know they're good. You've had a new mind. You've had the scales taken off and you see things the way he does. And it's all by grace. And, right. and that's what, yeah, it's just completely, yeah. Absolutely. So I wanted to look at something else too. And, and bear with me here because I don't have clarity on it yet, but I think we're going to see something along the lines of what you were just saying multitasking is difficult now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge and in your knowledge self-control and in your self-control perseverance and in your perseverance godliness and in your godliness brotherly kindness and in your brotherly kindness love let's read this in reverse and Reading in reverse, think of a Christian who has come to see the Lord for who he is more so, and those qualities, and where you're entering into that love for him that is other-centered. Because that word there in verse 7, for love, is that the godly form, that's the agapeo. And so reading it, obviously, in the order that it's written in there is very valid. But now let's flip it around. So we're loving. We're loving with his love. We're saturated with him. We're walking in his spirit. We're operating more from the spirit than we are the flesh. So that love's there. And then from the outpouring of that love is that brotherly kindness. Like Jesus said, you love God first. 
with everything. And then from there, equally like it is that brotherly kindness and then godliness that comes out of it from that brotherly kindness and then perseverance as we maturing and find ourselves going through more trials and we find ourselves persevering through that more so. And through that is coming self-control as we're maturing. And from that self-control, we're finding knowledge or dare I say even wisdom. And then we find ourselves walking in moral excellence even more in a day-by-day walk compared to when we once did. Um, which is just an outpouring of, uh, of the faith that we walk in, that we rely rely in. goes both ways. Very much applies when you read it in reverse order. I would dare say even more so than it does in the natural order that it's written. Isn't it interesting, like, how how his love love exemplified when we're when we're walking in it you come to realize wait a second this is the greatest gift i could ever receive to be able to be in the presence of god and be in a state of real love and i think it'll be overpowering to be fully in the presence of god in our mortal bodies but it's it's like a it's like a hors d'oeuvre or something before the meal, right? <laughs> to be in that, to be in that existence of of love, it's it's you are free. There's there is freedom from the world once you're in that state. Yeah. Complete freedom from from everything. Now let's bake your noodles even more. Take the fruit of the spirit. Compare it to that passage right there in Second Peter, starting in reverse order. What is the first one listed in? In of the nine attributes, I bet you I haven't done it yet. I bet you if you do a side by side, and especially in a reverse order, you're going to see a correlation there in the the way that it's listed in the, the fruit of the spirit. With that, come on, John, talk us through it. Come on, I I haven't, I don't have it clearly in my mind yet. Yeah. And then I think there's going to be a correlation too if you go to Matthew 5 and look at the beatitudes. They're all connected. I think you're going to see some interesting connections there. Cuz they really are the beatitudes that are the attitudes we're expected to be in to be members of his kingdom, of his household. Oh man! Self control is last in that one there, but yeah. The uh, for the fruits of the spirit. What yeah. is he who holds the seven stars and the seven spirits? There's seven of them there. The fruit of the spirit should be nine. One, two, three, four. Counting seven. Am I doing it wrong? Nine. Yeah. Love, joy, peace. Oh, gentleness and self-control. Never mind. Never mind. I got all excited about it. But you're not far off because there is also, and I don't remember what the reason for the existence, but the nine-branch menorah. There's also a nine-branch menorah that some people hold to as well. That's Uh, true. The seven-branch. Oh, maybe it's just to be symbolic of the fruits of the Spirit. Could be, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, never mind. I think I just got all excited. Well, speaking of excitement, I just uh, got something in the mail a few hours ago, and I just thought I'd, you know, I'd let you guys be the first ones to see it, you know, because I want to, like, have that friendship type thing with you guys. Yeah. Which uh, passage in Matthew was it, John? Uh, it would be Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, Beatitudes. Okay, okay. This yes, is interesting. Uh, Let's explore it. Thanks for sharing it with us, Blitz, and being the first to see. Appreciate that. We'll ooh and all over it in a little bit here. Okay, uh, it's nothing big, just... There you go. More Transformers? Is that what I'm gathering? Yes, it is. Know. They have, like, a whole, like, old passion for set them. of five. Well, just like uh, these ones. This one's my favorite. That's because Jazz is my favorite Transformer within the movies. Cool. There's also like, you know. Yeah. yeah. We're gonna, we're, we got an active Bible study going on right now, Blitz, so we'll have to. All oh, right. I didn't mean to interrupt You're okay. you. You're good. I know you take a lot of joy in those, so thank you for sharing those with us. Uh, so let's go. I mean, we got time. We don't. None of us have to bail off to a meeting like we used to. Uh, so let's jump to. Maybe we'll try to. If you guys are wanting to, we'll try to finish the the chapter out tonight. Uh, so verse eleven. Do this. So this is a new thought that when I'm looking at like Bible or excuse me, Bible Hub, but Blue Letter Bible. I love the paragraph markers it put. So this one it marks it as a new thought uh, for start of a new paragraph. So do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. So let's think in the theme of love here. Uh, that's that's what the, the theme is, is loving our neighbor. And so my my natural thought in this is the from the extension of our neighbor when we're caring about them, when we're concerned about them, when we're having that other-centered love that we're wanting them to share into what we have the love of the lord um and so that that would be the motivating factor the love for our neighbor of of wanting them to come to partake in what we've been so blessed to have revealed to us and in particular not to go too much down this road but especially what we were what was previously being spoken of in romans 9 10 and 11 and talking about how us as former Gentiles and now being brought into one family or one people, one flock, and that our relationship with him is not to be used as a bragging point for the, the Jews, but it should be a, hey, you can have this too. This is your Messiah. You, you should be partaking of this as well. And so I think this really brings it home more, the fact that it's listed in Romans con continuation chapter 13, that for our neighbor, which would include the Jews, it's not limited to them, but that we would be wanting to show them, hey, this is your this is your Messiah. This is for you as well to partake in it. And remember, it's its kindness that leads to repentance. And so when we're operating from that other centered love that we're gonna be showing his kindness that will be used powerfully to get people to change their mind change their mart, their heart, and their mind towards the Lord, that repentance that's needed. 
from this moment forward, I decree the combination of the two shall be called a marked. Go ahead, Ken. So as we become a new creation, um, we know as children that it seems like time just goes forever. We got so many things going on in our mind that we're constantly inputting stuff that it feels like from one thought to the next to the next is like, oh, wow, three hours must have passed by. But really, it's just like 15 minutes because the kids, you know, time spans like really short. So as you get older, you, the processing slows down. So the same kind of connection still happens. So it feels like time is actually speeding up. So as we become Christians, it seemingly gets closer and closer for the same concept that our time draws near to our glorification with Christ. Every day we get closer, no matter what, whether we live 100 years, 120 years, and so forth. 120 years, that's still a short time to get to eternity, which is forever. So regardless of the rapture coming or Christ coming, whatever it may be for us, whether we unfortunately pass, time is short. There's so much to do in this life. There's so much joy to have in this life, despite what we suffer, because there is joy in the suffering. An interesting aspect is, is that the hour is near. So my mind goes to a day is like a, a thousand years to God and so forth, back back and forth. But the hour, it's like 120 years. Uh, lifespan of a man is seemingly about that much after the days of Noah. So this is the hour. The time that we are on this earth, the, the max amount of time that we're going to get, the hour is near no matter what. Whether it be you come to Christ as a child or on your deathbed, the hour is near. Come to Christ. Let's let's uh, grow this family. Any other thoughts on this verse? Anybody want to expand on it? Any revelation? It's interesting that we have this transition here from 8 to 10, talking about love and the things that we've been talking about and the connections we've been making. It's it's exciting. It's stirring us up. At least I'm speaking for myself. You know, It's definitely stirring things up in a positive way. And the amazingness of it with these connections. And now, starting in verse 11, it's like, okay, now we got some gravity coming. It's not that it's being a buzzkill to it, but it's like, hey, so this this goodness that you're experiencing right now, we need to use this as a motivation for something that's that's weighty. And the time is short. Um, and so we're getting into that uh, that theme of it. 
where instead of an overwhelmingness, at least for again for myself speaking for myself and what I'm experiencing right now, uh, the weightiness is there's a underlying hopefulness in it that it's like oh yeah man we I want more people to be able to experience this and there, and it's not exactly like I am. I want it very much to be in a very unique personal way between them and the Lord, which may look different for them. And it's still good. It is what it is and the blessing for them. But nevertheless, however it might look, I want them to be able to experience that for themselves. Uh, go ahead, Jack. Yes. I would just like to add the hour is near. And if my voice sounds funny, it's, I don't know. <clears throat> my throat is feeling weird again. Um, but yes, the hour is near, just like Ken got through saying. Uh, and if there's anyone next to you, wake them up. Don't let them sleep. If you have someone you love, wake them up. Don't let them stay asleep either. Wake them up by pouring out his love into their lives. Exactly. And 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 you you don't have to keep bothering them about it. Just plant a seed in them. And every time you see them, water that seed just a little bit. Don't you don't have to uh surround them or uh, grab them by the hands and tie them up down in a chair until you uh, uh, beat some sense into them. No, 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 no. Be gentle. Love them. Water it just like you would a plant. Give it time. Let it flourish on its own. Let it see you as you are walking in the way of the Lord. Yeah, but I guess that that's and and that's what it means by lead by example and not by uh oh, how can I put that? I know I saw it in scripture somewhere and I don't remember. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Yes. There's that aspect to it for sure. It's the it's living and, out the gospel in deed, not just in word. Yes. Yes. I guess that's the most uh it feels like the most difficult thing for me actually trying to like bring them in by action, not just word, because there's A, the fact that I don't really go out much. B, I don't really talk to many people. C, um, uh, I don't know what the third thing is. Oh, right. I've been very discouraged on actually trying to reach the people, reach people in terms of um, stuff like that. I just don't have the confidence to actually continue in my, uh, you know, walk without with seeing like either no results or just the exact opposite of what I would anticipate. Like I would get so consumed with trying to bring them in so badly that any false attempts kind of discourages me a bit. Uh, Tough. Yeah. When you're at that point, I sorry didn't. No, you're good. Go ahead. Go I was just saying, like at that time, like I started to grow more and more like reclusive about it. Uh, not intentionally, but like, 
I just don't have the cop. I don't have the confidence I had before. And, and, um, uh, I don't know what I was about to say. You can continue now.
know, given us salvation from what he knew we would do, would turn from the sin and deliver us from the, the, the wages of sin and death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And you look at that and you go, this is what he's delivering us from. Salvation is that, and that's at hand. And um, when you look at these scriptures we're talking about, you know, to, to actually go, what he's given us and 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 the people around us we have a joy now that we we're seeing this right we saw dimly we see dimly but we see it and he's growing us as we put him on more and and trusting him in everything that we do in our encounters that we will be his light we're that nation set apart you know um, um in that space and so when i when i'm able to to meditate and separate the distraction well and stay in that place you have a joy and you can rely and can have you can be still and trust that god is um, is doing a work while the evil around us is doing all these things and it's, and it's taking us. But God is doing something too. He's doing work and we're tapping into what he's doing. And often we get so caught up in the world of what we're, we're you know, situations at work, our relationships, our family and kids and stuff. And that, you, you know, they, you know, I've got four kids, you know, I've got to raise them up in this, in this world. It's very daunting, you know, and you think, I need you. I don't know how to be a good father, but you are. I've got to trust in who you are and your deliverance. And you're giving me these four kids because you want these kids to be your children too. So I have to trust in everything outside of myself and God's nature. He's proven time and time and time again who he is. So that way I can have faith in that and then in that deliverance and that salvation to come. I don't know. That's just one of the had. <laughs> that's good. That's really good. The uh, second part here, therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. I mean, it's a transformed life here yeah. where we're, we're think of stop walking in the flesh and walk in the spirit. Yeah. Um, the armor of light, the, the, something that I've been uh, pointing out, we've been talking about the putting on the armor. I hear people, well, I got to get up every day and put on the armor. And I, I don't disagree with that, but wanting people to have the paradigm shift in their head is that they're putting on Jesus. Because if you look at every aspect of the six pieces of armor, they're all him. He is salvation. His name is salvation. Yeshua means salvation in Hebrew. Uh, he is our righteousness. He is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. We, we built ourselves with truth. He is the shield, Scripture tells us. Uh, he goes before us as our shield. He is the sword of the Spirit. He is the gospel of peace. He is the prince of peace. He is the good news of peace that we that we prepare our feet with. Well, for preparing our feet with something, it means that we plan on walking, yeah? If you're going to go on a trip, you're going to put shoes on your, your feet and walk. But the idea, in particular with the gospel of peace, points back to the, the priesthood. And while you were there in your priestly garb doing your service at the temple, you wore nothing on your feet. There was nothing man-made between you and the holy ground that you were walking upon while you were serving. And so the preparation of the gospel of peace, the idea conveys in our walk that we're putting nothing man-made between our walk of life and the path of righteousness that we walk upon. So this idea of put on the armor of light, well, who is the light? Yeshua is the light. Who do we put on? Who do we clothe ourselves with? With him, his righteousness. We hide ourselves within him. He is a strong tower that we run into. Any other thoughts? Any connections that you guys are making? Please share. Hands up, people. Let's do this.
we're gonna get through this tonight. We got two more, two more verses, but walking in the spirit will have us clothing ourselves in him. Every respect has been tempted as we are here with us. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And so once we receive his mercy, his grace comes pouring in. That's all. Nice. Any other thoughts, folks? Any connections you guys are making? Uh, putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, make no purpose of vision for the flesh in regard to its lust. So it's like, it's no mm -hmm. longer me. It's him in me. So it's like everything that, that your flesh wanted crucified on the cross with the Lord and now your identity is Him essentially your, identify, your identity is Him in Him you're like Him and will be like Him I don't know if that goes anywhere but I'm just thinking about that that's interesting good to voice it out process it Maybe somebody else that'll trigger something in them or thought that they're like, oh, oh, that goes with this. So we'll continue on in 13. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Let's see here. Let's Galatians five. Uh, I think it's eighteen to twenty. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions. Some, definitely some parallels here. Because well, that's like wages of sin leading to death, and the death, death has been condemned in the flesh. Death and sin. Yep. Why why are we gonna operate in something that has been crucified and nailed to the cross that we have power over now? That we no longer have to walk in those ways where previously we were forced because that was the only thing we had to operate from was the sin nature. So now we have an alternative the life of the spirit. And that comes through humility and yielding to him so he can actually live his life through us. It's his works, not ours. 
That's the rewards we get as from works that we allow him to perform through our vessel. And that when we're doing that, then we don't have to worry about whether it's going to be burnt up like wood, hay, and stubble. It's like, it wasn't my work. <laughs> it was you doing it. I wasn't doing it in my flesh. So it's guaranteed to be the precious stones, jewels, silver and gold. Anybody else have connecting thoughts on this verse here? We're in the home stretch, guys. We can do it. I guess um, just Ephesians 2 is a good connection, um, telling you what you once were and what you were, what you, you know, when you look at the first whole half of uh, Ephesians 2, talking about the ways of this world that you want, the former ways that you once used to live. And you look at the last verse, obviously, Romans 13 here, and it's about putting on Christ. It's about realizing that you've been crucified with him. So it's no longer I live, that Christ who lives in me. And now I have, it's putting on that, that divine life that you receive in, in, by faith. And walking in his right ways. So, again, as we've spoken about before, I mean, you've got a new, you've got new passions, you've got new desires. These are things of God that He's putting in you. So, you just don't, you, you don't walk in these ways anymore. Not because of oh, I have to try and be good because I need to earn something, but no, because I'm receiving this new life that I delight in these ways of God, which makes these things disappear. And I guess everyone can relate to that in their lives as you walk this. How He has taken away these things that, of the world, these lusts and desires and the passions of of this world, right? You know, we, we start to dislike them not because we're striving, but because we're, you know, I guess we're striving to, to, to follow him in that sense, but not, not because we're trying to get it right, because he's already overcome it and done it, and that's starting to outpour in our lives. That divine nature is starting to, of his nature that he gives us is actually um, by grace, as we know, by faith you've been saved, which goes on in Ephesians 2 after it talks about that. That's that new life that you now remember daily. You've You've actually, by faith, you walk in that, and that's who I am. I'm now that, and you allow that to walk in your life. And by the pure, I guess, by the by the nature of that sanctification work that's happening, you you, you no longer are living in the ways of this world, and um, you're actually living towards God, putting it, and you're putting on Christ. And it's a it's a one of those marvelous things that everyone's been explaining to go through because you know that's not by your own doing; it's by grace. It's been something He's done. And to have that transform your life is where that praise and that joy comes that you can always go to even if you're having a bad day. So that way, you know, um, you actually, like you were talking about before, you're fighting against the principalities and powers in this world when you actually praise God and you say, you know, you look at that and, and when you're actually actually following God, you're, 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 you're defeating what's happening out there, what he's trying to do, the darkness of this world. He's trying to bring humanity down. But no, he's delivered us from that. And we're shining light in the darkness. And um, that's the process of putting away those things of the world and putting on his life, um, right. which is a joy to go through. Now, think about this. Why, uh, in regards to the praises, why, and it's the, the answer is within Scripture. Hopefully, I'm, I'm hoping somebody picks up on this. Why would the enemy hate the praises of, of us? Why would that be an effective weapon for us? What does scripture say about praises? 
And it's wolfy. It is. It's true. Anybody it's else? Kind of scripture. I don't know the scripture reference, but I know what it says. It brings him to do something. What does it say that God does with the praises of his people? I don't even know what he does with the praises. He, Come on, John. I'm on a cliffhanger here. He inhabits the praises of his people. Where the praises are is where the Lord is. Uh, and so the enemy is going to be like, oh, no, I'm out of here. Ah, so he, he senses his presence from the, the praises. The praises. Yeah, Psalm 22. Right. Yeah. And, you, and you think about it, what's the devil trying to do? He's trying to get that worship away from the, the Lord to him. So this is why praises are the best warfare against the devil and his efforts. Now, here's a theory that I have on this, based loosely on some scriptural indications, that it's believed uh, that he was the one who headed up the, the praises of God, like the heavenly host praises. Uh, and so he no longer has that job. Yeah. And they were created first. Who has the job? There is, yes, there is the heavenly host. There is angels. But who now has the job of worshiping God in praises? Us. Correct. His old job. We have his old job. Here we have an angel that was created to be the most beautiful of all the angels. And in that, he became his pride. And he, he fell from the, the title, the job that he had. And now we come along and we're created in the image of God. But we're imperfect. Because of sin and us, we're imperfect. And so here, God at one point had this perfect angelic being that was just absolutely beautiful um, doing something. And now we have his old job. He has been in the fullness of the presence of God. We have not. Imagine his pride and his arrogance and how he is outraged by it. That we, who have not yet had the pleasure and the honor of being in the fullness of the the presence of God and we're imperfect and we're nowhere near as beautiful as he was, but yet God willingly accepts our worship despite our imperfection because we are made perfect in him, his covering. He is outraged. He is mad. He is incest. He is upset. That's my job. <laughs> no, He's petty. Not anymore. Imagine how jealous he is of us. That we're not even as perfect as he was. And yet, we get to praise the Lord all day long. I don't know what he's seeing in me for me to be such a big target for him. You don't need to cry about it, Daniel. It's okay. It's it's happy stuff. She was just crying tears of joy. She's uh, (laughs) a... Uh, it's because he sees it's Christ in us. That's when you put on that nature. That's that's his. That's God. It's reminding God of who he, who he is. And so Satan realizes that. I mean, not real. I, I guess like it, it was that if he can turn as many of us humans away from that job to worship him, then it's sort of some sort of sort of a reprieve for him that he's going to get. But ultimately, he's lost because he can't be God. His pride got so greater than him. His beauty that he had and all that sort of stuff is what led him to think that he could lead 
to be God, you know, and ultimately he can't because he isn't. There's only one. And then I guess as Christ, as we get given that nature by grace, not for anything we've done because we haven't got anything that God desires the sin. And we, all we got to give is our sin in the transaction to receive Christ for what, how good Christ's sacrifice and who he is. That, yeah. That's what he sees in you when you're asking that question. It's Christ. He sees Christ in us. It's such a perfect sacrifice. It takes away Absolutely. all the different moments. You know, all the sin. And so he's looking at you and seeing his son, which is mind-boggling. <laughs> so for all, yes. you, it is. for all you brothers and sisters in here who have a connection with music, who is a, it's a passion, let that motivate you. That your, your gifting that was given to you by the Lord, that passion, that connection in which you have with him, because he loves music. He loves the praises of his people. And the fact that some of you might hammer on yourself and think that I'm not bringing something just perfect to him and I don't want to do it. No, that's the point is that he had a being who was perfect in his presentation and beauty. And, and he fell from that. And he said, I'm going to give this job to a, a being who is not going to be perfect. And I, and despite their imperfection, I'm still going to accept their worship. I don't need it to be perfect. I need it to be from a heart. So for those of you here who music is a connection, let that motivate you that he's not looking for perfection, but he's looking for that inward expression of your heart as imperfect as it might present itself in the finished product. It still blesses him and he still delights in it. Uh, what I wanted to bring back, bringing it back to the scripture, you're going to love this, Jason. I know you're listening to this right now. <laughs> yes, I am. We're all over the place. Oh, Blitz's real name is Jason. Um, so let us behave properly in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, and not in strife and jealousy. And then let's also tie back some of the thought with 12. The, the contrast between darkness and and light here. Think about your walk. Your, your walk in a sense of, I'm going from point A to point B in my house, my apartment, wherever. How sure, how firm, how confident is your walk in darkness versus in the presence of light? I you can think, see where I'm going. Th exactly. You don't stumble around. There's not trepidation. There's not unsurety. You, you, you're confident to be able to get up to go from point A to point B. Your path is lit. You do it. It becomes like second nature. The moment that the darkness comes in, the second nature kind of goes by the wayside. Obviously, the motor function is still there, but there's a trepidation and a caution now there because of a, a feeling of disorientation and loss. So think about that in light of our walk. If we're walking around in darkness, we're stumbling. And scripture talks about us stumbling around uh, in that darkness. And so I think this very much ties into it. But when we're walking within the light, when we're walking within Christ, the surety and the, the confidence that comes in, and not an arrogance, but a confidence that comes into it of knowing that our path is lit. Think of of Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet, a light to my path, so that I can see clearly to walk in this life versus being in a darkness and feeling isolated, alone, stumbling, uh, motor skills are not 
top notch here because I can't see what's going on. Uh, go ahead, Andrea. Please. And we were talking about worship, and um, you know, you could uh, look at a post. Uh, worship is a posture of acceptance. You know, um, Jesus. You know, one of the last you know words that he he you know said was you know it is finished. So when we you know walk in acceptance, then we can't do anything but worship. You know, and 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 sing praises to the Lord, and just like um. You know, it's just a posture of acceptance, like, oh, my gosh, you know, um, you know, and, you know, God has, you know, uh, you know, is, you know, you can even talk about, you know, even before David and things like that, it's a, it's a response, right, until, to, you know, to what God has, um, you know, delivered, <laughs> delivered you from or what God has done, you know, when he says that. I accept you in, you know, it is finished, you know, um, you know, I have, you know, like I said, use an acceptor, the king and the sept. I have blessed you. I've chosen to bless you. I've chosen to prosper you. You know, you, you can't do nothing but worship, you know, worship and just like, you know, um, revere, you know, and, you know, so, you know, we made our choice, you know, we chose to, you know, give our worship to, to, um, to God, you know, so, um, so in that, you know, God has, has honored, but yeah, um, so, you know, it's definitely a posture, and it's so, it's so weird, because, like, you know, um, you go to, you know, some, some worship services, at, um, you know, concerts, and things like that, and then, no, maybe you know I've been to even secular concerts and things like this, and you just like, you know, the truth is, everything that we do, we're worshiping. Like you worshiping something, like in in like you know God, you're worshiping, and so you know when we intentionally, you know, talk, you know, sing to the Lord and like, you know, um, sing, you know, His words, you know, for me, you know. Ooh, God delights in that. Like God really owns that, you know. Um, you know, because that means we're saying, God, I I believe what you say. I I I I accept it, you know. So you know, we we use our 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 hands and our feet, and we worship, you know, dance, you know, burrito dance like David, you know, about, you know. The result of worship in the Bible is so, so a lot, you know. And, you know, that's what God, God delights in our worship. And that's really what he, he often asks us to do is that's just our, our uh, posture of acceptance. Very true. Very true. And it's a. Uh... Uh, like what was just posted with Hebrews there, that is a fruit of our lips. It's a sacrifice of praise. And how difficult is it when we're in the midst of heartache, when we're in the midst of focusing on issues that we're dealing with and and which will block us from being other-centered, loving, loving from that other-centered love. And so when we're in that mode there, 
it could be so difficult to lift our voice in praise and thankfulness to God. And that's really where it becomes a sacrifice because a sacrifice is not easy. Sacrifice costs and hurts. But to be able to do it, there's the blessing in it, the blessing first and foremost towards the Lord. But then again, because he has need of nothing, he wants to turn that around and say, now I want to bless you. Now I want to, because you're bringing this to me, I see your heart and I see your need and how there can be a transformation in the things that we're dealing with. But doing it, doing that initial thing, taking that step of faith and obedience and, and forcing ourselves to get out of that self-centeredness and others and operate from that other centered love as tough as it may be there's a huge blessing within it and it becomes i would dare say it becomes easier as we find ourselves walking in it more and more that it's gonna there's gonna be strength built up in it where it's like okay i know what i need to do i know the results that come from it so here we go i'm gonna do it All right, so any other thoughts? I don't think I missed any hands. Yeah, got Andrea. No, we're good. All right, last verse. Look at that. In almost two hours' time. Beautiful. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Verse 14. So Romans 13, verse 14, if you're just joining us. The last one. This is where we're going to stop for the night. So next week we'll be starting Romans 14. Hear that, Jason? Romans 14. <laughs> Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard for its lust. Yes, action word, Jessica, absolutely. This is, this is a deliberateness. This is a intentionality. And I think this ties into what I was saying um, just a moment ago, how there could be time, it could be difficult when we're in the midst of a trial, when we're in the midst of struggle that we're doing something that we may, may not want to do. A lot of times we want to wallow. We want to sit down and think, think of a little child who's fallen and they want to sit there and kind of whine and cry before getting back up. Especially if they're tired and feeling a bit defeated. We very much can be like that. So in doing that and in, in stepping outside of our flesh, what our flesh wants to do. That is the idea of walking in the spirit, walking in the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provisions of the flesh where that self-control can come in and say, Hey, all right, you, I see what you're trying to do and you ain't going to have, that's it. I've had enough of you, no more out of you. And being that intentional deliberateness of saying, okay, here we go. Getting focus off myself. And what my flesh wants, and into what the Lord, blessing the Lord, putting Him on. Can I read a corresponding scripture with that from Galatians? Please do. Okay, so Galatians two twenty. Well, I'll start at nineteen. So for for through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and no, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. So, yeah. It's Jesus in us living, you know, in the Spirit. You should ask that in uh, the chat, Ken. It's actually 
that's a really good thought. I'm going to say it. So he, I think he was trying to be funny, but it's actually got some gravity to it. So he said, so no joy in that suffering? Absolutely. The What it makes me think of, and, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. So if you're walking and operating spirit, what's the second one? Joy. Love, joy. So in what we're dealing with, what we're, uh, the, when we're in that moment of the flesh and wanting to take over and rear its ugly head and being deliberate about saying, okay, no, I'm going to walk after the things of the, the spirit here. Well, the second one is joy. And so absolutely the joy and the suffering can come. But I think it it does involve us getting recentered in our mind and, and focus of the things of the spirit that where we can have the Lord guide us and say, Hey, you're gonna have joy in the midst of this trial and the storm that you're going through that deep. And I believe joy is tied very close to the the shalom, the peace, that that sense of well being is one way it's described. And and then and that makes me think of the Ephesians four six. I'm going to throw eight in there. Four six through eight. That by prayer and uh, make your request be be made known by prayer and supplication or asking with thanksgiving. And I think many of you have heard me say that with thanksgiving is the key to that scripture. The thankfulness, the trying to refocus and recenter outside of yourself ultimately to say, Lord, thank you for who you are. And part of that is going to be, thank you for the things that you've done in my life. Things, the, the, the goodness that you've brought into my life. That's not, it's not wrong, but it is a good thing to get yourself even out of that at times and just say for who you are, for your character, for your awesomeness and take yourself out of the equation. It's not a bad thing to, to practice as well. Ken looks like he's going to talk. There is joy in the suffering. Yep. The things we suffer, let's define those. A relationship, a job, where you live, a sickness, keeping our thoughts captive, wherever you are in, in your walk, wherever you are in life. These are the things that we suffer with. What we used to do prior to Christ is deal with them ourselves. Burdensome. So hard to do because we had no way to deal with it. We had no way to make it better. Sometimes it did by the grace of God because the rain, it pours on the righteous and the wicked. God gives favor where he chooses to, but we still have the suffering. But when we are in Christ, there is a joy in that sufferance because every action you are purposely making, when we, <clears throat> when we align our heart with Christ, is an action in obedience to him. And this action is our character in Christ. This is the perseverance. Perseverance is the endurance that we continue on having to make decisions so we can choose to do things with a heart posture towards God. 
and, and asking for wisdom, seeking for wisdom, it, it's not without the seeking and being humble enough to hear what he has to say. And then we start hearing him and hearing him better. And then he becomes crystal clear on how we contend with the things that we suffer with. And then we start seeing the fruit of this. This is the hope. And we know that hope comes from the faith of our assurance, the convictions of things we don't see. So we take joy in knowing that when we persevere, we create character. Romans 5, 3 through 5. We take joy in the suffering to produce perseverance, to produce character, and that is our hope. So when you start struggling in something, take joy in knowing that you have the ability to turn to God, to have the right decision, to have the right path, to have the comfort and strength to endure through that season. through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable kept in heaven so we do not we have not seen him we don't see him now we believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory all through those trials it's not a joy that anyone can take away once we have it. It's there. <laughs> no one can take it. We can only be deceived out of it ourselves. It is always the hand of the When I was first born again, I had an ex-girlfriend who, while well, she was my girlfriend at the time, ended up splitting up. But she tried everything, tried everything to take my joy from me. And she, <laughs> she just couldn't do it. Like, I mean, there were a bunch of inconveniences, but God's just too good. He can't. That's just something no one can take from us. Like, if anyone watches The Chosen, when, when John the Baptist is in the jail cell and it's talking about how this jail cell can't do anything, like, this jail cell is nothing. <laughs> like, when we have him, he's all we need. We're complete in him. Indeed. Look at that, we did it. We finished Romans 13, guys. I like that we were able to, to have the available Yay. time. Praise the Lord. While we were doing the leadership thing, it always bummed me out that we can only be here for an hour and then we're bouncing out. I was like, oh, oh. more time. Thanks for guiding us through it. It was a bit it was a bit confusing for me at first, and now I understood. I appreciate that very much. <laughs>
much. Yeah, we were. Thank you, John. We were all over the place. Iron sharpens iron, though. That's what we gotta do. My life uh, is about rabbit trails. You. Welcome to the journey. <laughs> well, it helps keep me focused. I'm all over the place. I, I appreciate your leadership in this, John. Thank. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me close this out in prayer, and then get the bot out of here. We can continue to talk and stuff. So, thank you, John. All right, Father, we just thank you, God, for your love, for you. <laughs> How your spirit moves. And Lord, we're all over the place, but it's all good stuff. It's all a means for us to celebrate you and get to know you better, to understand your heart. And uh, I, I believe that it is powerful to help us to uh, get into that childlike faith when we see the wonderment, we see all the connections. I know for myself it is that way, and I'm praying that for other people as well as like. As they grow closer in a relationship, they get to see you and to see your warmth and your approachability and who you are and how you build, bid your children, come, come to me, little ones, come to me, let me love upon you. And so thank you, Lord, that we have the guidance of your spirit and we have access to you, that we do not need to be afraid, that we can come with confidence before you, knowing that we're not going to be turned away. Thank you for this time of study and revelation of your word. We bless you, Lord. We thank you. We love you. And we ask this all. And we praise you all in your son's name. Amen. 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 Amen.